Good morning, my name is Kyle and I'm one of the pastors here and I will be preaching this morning from the Gospel of Mark. So if you have a Bible, take it and turn it to the passage that was read in Mark 10. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles on the round tables. You can get up and pick one up right now. If you don't know where Mark is, that's okay. We all start somewhere and there's a table of contents in the front of the Bible for you. Well, Joshua, our new assistant pastor, and Katie have been here for a couple months now, and, um, and, uh, and it's been a good transition. We were talking about it, but they've had some, um, they've had some, uh, some rough patches with, uh, with little Jasper having to go to the emergency room and other things, uh, and, you know, that's just life with young kids. But they have something they're really looking forward to, and that is they have a big anniversary coming up this summer. And we were talking about them. They were talking with the session about where they should go. And started mentioning all these places that they could go. And they were like, well, we could go up here. We could go here. We could go here. And then they're talking to one another. And they're like, well, what do we really want out of this anniversary? Like, we want a place that's beautiful. It'd be nice if we had a place where we could sit by the ocean. It'd be great if there was, like, good wine nearby and some hills that we could go to and hike around be wonderful if we could go sailing or something like that. Uh, it'd be great if there was just really good restaurants around. Um, and then they said, as we started talking and describe it, I think we decided what we really wanted was like Santa Barbara <laughs> without kids. <laughs> well, today we're talking about children, Jesus and children. So let me pray for us. Lord, you honored the children. Help us to see why. Open my mouth that I might declare wonderful things from your word. And that our hearts might all rejoice. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, she always went to Trader Joe's early in the morning. She went to Trader Joe's early in the morning because there wasn't a rush hour. And with her five kids, it was enough just to keep them in line and occupied. She didn't need to fight the rush hour crowds and the after work crowds with it. It was nice at that time of day in Trader Joe's because it was always quiet. And that's why it was so surprising to hear the woman say to her, are you raising an army? And she said, excuse me? The kids, are you trying to supply the army? The woman said with disdain. And the mother thought to herself about each child and how they were born. And how she would go up to the clerks and the tellers and how they would kind of ooh and awe over the children and how she would go to the park and how people would say, oh, your child is so cute. And, and, and then she thought to herself uh, about how these children who were so cute and cuddly and precious had now become, a, well, a bit of something to handle. And she thought to herself, when did my child, when did my children go from a precious moment to a perpetual nuisance. 
You know, we're not really sure how to handle kids in our society, are we? On the one hand, we either worship them or we disdain them. They're an ecological hazard, you know? Global warming and all that. You can't be having kids. Uh, we, we are not sure whether they're a blessing or a curse. How do we view children in our society? But of course, in church, we know how to view children. We, 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 we know. The church is different. I mean, Psalm 127. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Blessed is the man whose quiver is filled with them. We know how to view children in the church, don't we? I mean, from the very beginning, we've known exactly how to treat them. Like in this passage, when the disciples see parents bringing their children to Jesus, and verse 13 says they rebuked them. Wait, do we know how to treat children? Uh, why would the disciples rebuke parents for bringing their children to Jesus? Of course, if you are asking that question right now, you haven't spent a lot of time around children. The other day, we were going to a youth celebration, and I am on my motorcycle with my helmet on, and I am driving to Joshua's house, and he's going to get on his motorcycle, and we are going to go to this youth dinner. And as I pull up, I hear the loudest blood-curdling scream that I have ever heard in my whole life. And I think, did I just run over a child? Like, where is the child around me? What is happening? And then I said, like, now, mind you, my motorcycle is on. My helmet is on. And I'm thinking, where is that? That can't be coming from inside Joshua's house, can it? And all of a sudden, somehow, miracle of all miracles, when the door cracked open, this sound got louder. And I thought, oh no, it is. And at that moment, I had two thoughts. The first thought was, the very first thought was, God bless Katie. And the second thought was, I'm glad kids aren't invited to this dinner. <laughs> I mean, we love children. They're a blessing from the Lord as long as they could stay home, right? Uh, I mean, as a parent and a preacher, I got to admit, I can understand why these disciples rebuke the parents. I mean, children are disruptive. When I see new parents come into our, our sanctuary and they come to church and they're visiting the first time and they have their kids with them and they, they want to know, like, where can they drop off their kids and where's the program? And then they find out that we encourage parents to keep their kids in the service and I see their faces get really crestfallen. And at that time, I do everything in my power to kind of hold it together and smile and say, it's going to be great. We'll help you out. It'll be fine. And then as soon as they walk away, I go into my office and I cry because <laughs> I realize that this is not going to be easy for any of us, right? I mean, kids are disruptive. They are distracting. Uh, when Eve was a little baby, uh, Pam brought her into the service and, um, and Eve had a diaper blowout. And Pam looks down at her dress, and, uh, and then she looks up at the, the time, and she thinks, well, we're in it now, and it's a good thing that yellow mustard is in right now, right? Moms, you are so thankful for that, that yellow mustard is in. 
And then Neve got older, and she took on liturgical dance. Some of you have noticed this. And it was very beautiful and precious, and we all loved the liturgical dance. I mean, Pam and I were great with it. We thought, that's sweet. This is the way she praises Jesus. She can't really speak yet, but she can dance. Until she started, she developed this move. I don't know if it was like during a doxology or whenever the Trinity was sung, but she would go up to the stage and lean onto the stage and then hike up her leg. At which point we were petrified as parents, right? Um, But you were petrified later on in life when she started watching the Frozen movies. And part of her liturgical dance repertoire was to freeze you. Now, you weren't petrified because she was freezing you. You were petrified because she froze you with your hand raised, which is like a Presbyterian's worst nightmare. (laughs) There's this one couple I talked to them. They started going to a different church because knee froze them with their hand raised. So they just went to a church where they raised their hands all the time. Uh, And when we talk about the sweet cooing of children in church, parents, how many of you remember your children cooing sweetly? Yeah, me neither. (laughs) Mine skipped that stage. It goes from like nothing to like wailing. Uh, And so for a lot of us, if we were to ask, what is your ideal worship service? You might say, well... It's a, it's, a, it's a service that is liturgical, that has a thoughtful structure, where there's the reading of Scripture, where we are connected with the history of the, the church. It's a service where uh, the preaching is fantastic. It's a service where uh, we have communion every week. It's a service where the music is really rich and beautiful. Um, and, well, it's kind of like CPC without the kids, right? I mean, because parents, let's be honest, Coming to worship and having your children, it's distracting, it's disruptive, and so I can understand the disciples. And besides, children are young. I mean, aren't they too young to understand the teaching of Jesus? I mean, Jesus dealt with some pretty grown-up topics like marriage and divorce, lust and sex, uh, like hell and heaven. And, And... And following Jesus, I mean, it's a serious thing. Like, it's an important decision. The most important decision you will ever make. More, more, important, than, more important than where you go to college or what career you choose or who you'll marry even is the decision to follow Jesus. I mean, are kids really ready to make a decision like that? I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Can they really make that kind of life-altering decision? And besides, remember the context of Mark and what they're getting themselves into. Mark, more than any other gospel, believes that discipleship is engaged in a cosmic war between the powers of heaven and the powers of hell. And it's to take up your cross. I mean, we don't let our... Kids in America, we don't let them enlist until they're 18. We don't send them off to war. And we think that that's inhumane. I mean, why should we let these kids enlist in war? So, so what are these parents thinking? Bringing their kids to Jesus. I mean, they're going to distract people. They're going to disrupt his teaching. I mean, they might stick their fingers in his ear or lick his face or something like 
what happened to me when I first came here. And there was a certain boy who has now grown up, but eight years ago, his parents said, he gets excited like a puppy. And I didn't, mean, I didn't realize they meant literally, like a puppy. I mean, it's distracting, it's disrupting. I mean, they're sending their kids off to war. Why? What are they doing? And why shouldn't the disciples rebuke them? Well, for one reason. And it's enough. And that reason's right there in verse 14. Because when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant. Why does Jesus get so indignant at the disciples' rebuke? I think for a number of reasons. Because I think the rebuke assumes some things. First, the disciples' rebuke assumes that the children are not part of the kingdom. Look at how Jesus goes on, verse 14. Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying that children are actually possessors of the kingdom. Children. Uh, This is is true throughout Scripture. Psalm 139.14, this is where I have to kind of geek out and be a scholar and also kind of ruin some of your precious moments verses, but... The verse everyone knows is, I'm fear, uh, I, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, right? But just about every scholar knows now and agrees that that's not what the verse means. The verse means I'm awesomely set apart. Like set apart, like the people of God are set apart. And what David is saying there is that I have been awesomely set apart as a member of God's people and in relationship with him from the womb. See, children are possessors of the kingdom. Or think about John the Baptist. When John the Baptist sees Jesus in the womb, he recognizes Jesus and confesses him as Lord by leaping. And it was because of the Holy Spirit's work in him. No one can confess Jesus as Lord except by the Holy Spirit, Paul writes. And the Holy Spirit, we are told in Luke, is at work in John the Baptist so that he recognizes Jesus as Lord. Which is why in Ephesians 6, Paul will say, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Because he assumes something about children, that they are in the Lord. Because Jesus is theirs and theirs is Jesus. And they are possessors of the kingdom. So Jesus says, let the little children come to me and do not Hinder them. And the disciples, their rebuke, it assumes that the kingdom doesn't belong to children. It also assumes something else. It, it assumes something about Jesus' saving work. It assumes that Jesus' saving work is for some people and not all people. You know, sometimes people will talk about, and churches will talk about, an age of accountability or an age of responsibility. It's that age at which one becomes responsible enough to respond to Jesus and and make a decision to follow him. And before then, it's like things don't really count as far as sin goes. 
And after then, it's like, it does count, but you can respond. I think there are two things that are really clear throughout the Bible. The first is that we are born into a state of sin and misery ever since the fall. In sin did my mother conceive me, David says. That children are actually born into the corrupt state of sin and misery and it affects them just like it affects us all. And that means that children, even from their earliest days, even from the womb, need Jesus. That's the first thing that the Bible is absolutely clear about. And the second thing the Bible is clear about is this. There is no age that is a barrier to Jesus' saving work. Jesus' saving work extends beyond 14-year-olds and 12-year-olds and 10-year-olds and 6-year-olds and 5-year-olds and 2-year-olds. And Jesus' saving work even extends and reaches into the womb. Because Jesus, he came to save not just some people, but all people. Not just Westerners, but Easterners. Not just old people, but young people. Not just developed minds, but underdeveloped minds. Not just the inarticulate, not just the articulate, but the inarticulate. Just as much. You say, well, wait a second. Wait a second, Kyle. Hold on. But kids, they're not really old enough to... To make a response, they're not old enough to like give Jesus their faith. They're not old enough to understand that they, they, they don't comprehend. They're not smart enough yet. They're ignorant of these things, and it's it's like it's like they can't do anything. Exactly. That's the whole point. It's all about grace, which is given without regard to worth, without regard to qualification. And that's the whole point of why Jesus is so upset because finally what this assumes is it assumes that the disciples have something that qualifies them that the children don't have. We can come to Jesus, but they can't because adults, well, we bring something to the table. We have something that they don't have. But guess what, disciples? If that's what you think, then you don't understand grace, which is God's love given to the unlovely which is God's worth given to the unworthy, which is God's love given without regard to worth. Look at verse 15. Jesus says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, If you want to receive the kingdom, the only way to receive it is like a child receives it. In other words, this assumes that not only are children possessors of the kingdom, because they do receive the kingdom, but they're also not the exception, but the model for how to receive the kingdom. They're actually the ones who lead us in receiving the kingdom. They're the only ones who can show us how to receive the kingdom. And so if we want to receive the kingdom, we have to receive it as a child. And how do children receive the kingdom? How do children receive anything? I mean, they're weak, aren't they? Uh, And children can't tie their shoes. I figured that out the other day. Daddy, 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 tie my shoes. Daddy, tie my shoes. I'm like, Neve, tie your shoes. Oh, wait, she can't. I had to tie them for her. 
Children are weak, and they know it, and they'll ask. Children, they're also, they're also poor. One time we were uh, talking about going on a trip, and we said something to Neve about, um, well, we'll go, but we have to see if we have enough money. And the next thing I know, she's like two and a half, right, my daughter, and she brings out her piggy bank. And she says, well, we can use this money, right? And so we took over in the piggy bank. We started counting. I'm like, there's a 10 in here. Where'd you get a 10? And she goes, oh, I found it. Oh, where'd you find it? Oh, on that, on that, um, on that, on that, uh, on that table that's beside your bed. Oh. <laughs> My daughter was pretty rich at that point, but still, $10 is not going to get you into Disneyland. Sorry. It doesn't work. I mean, children are poor and they know it, and they have no problem, therefore, begging. See, at some point, we become too proud to beg, but kids don't. Mommy, 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 can I? ice cream? Can I have some ice cream? Can I have some ice cream? Daddy, 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 can I have ice cream? Can I? And they'll just keep going. They're powerless and they know it. They're poor and they know it. And, and children, they're interesting. They actually think that what they do is valuable. Like, just because. I mean, children will draw a picture and they'll bring you the picture and they expect that you're going to hang it right next to the Rembrandt. Maybe even cover the Rembrandt. And they don't think that you're going to do that because their picture is so much better than the Rembrandt's. They think you're going to do it just because. Just because what they do is valuable. Because they're loved. Because they're loved not for anything they do. Anything they are, they're just loved. And what they do is valuable because they're loved. They're not loved because what they do is valuable. Do you see the difference? And kids, they understand that. And that's why kids are audacious. Have you ever noticed that? Kids will march into anywhere and anything like they own it. So Professor Robert Kelly was in the middle of a CNN interview. Maybe some of you saw this. And he's sitting in his office in the middle of a CNN interview. And he's talking about this, uh, this really important diplomatic situation with North Korea. And he's all buttoned up and serious. And he's got his nice books behind him. And, uh, and he's talking to the uh, BBC, or maybe it's BBC. But he's, he's talking to these British interviews. And all of a sudden, uh, you see the door crack in the back. And then you see this toddler come like running in, right? Uh, and that's the, the best part is after the toddler comes running in, then you see, and the, the interviewer on the, um, on the other side of the newscast is like, looks like your child just came into the room, you know? And the guy's going, right? And then after that, you see this little baby in a walker come in, right? And then you see mom like, stealthily going like Navy SEAL, like crawling on the ground to pull the kids out and then like reaching and grabbing the door. And, you know, the, the guy is all embarrassed. He's, he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. And he's like embarrassed and all this. But you know what wasn't embarrassed? The kids. They're totally fine. They just barge right in because they just think... They're not thinking. They're not thinking about what they've done to qualify them to get on national TV or world TV. They're not thinking about what they could do to blow up their reputation. They're just there. And that's why they receive the world with wonder and as a gift. We're not like that. 
know, when we go to ask something from God, we, we hesitate. When we go into God's presence, we hesitate. Because we think about our past. And we feel guilty because we know we haven't lived up. And we think about our future. And we feel anxious and so we hesitate because we think, well, what if I blow it or what if I fail? But not kids. They're not approaching God on the basis of what they've done and what they've left undone or what they might do or what they might not do. They just, they just receive his love as gift, as grace. Exactly. And that's how we all have to receive it. That's how we all have to receive it. As weak and knowing it. As poor and knowing it. As knowing that we are valued and valuable not because of what we do, but because we are loved. As thinking that God actually cares and accepts the things that we do for him, not because they're so great, but because he loves us. To be audacious and to enter his presence and to receive the gift of his son as gift. And his love and acceptance as gift. And to live in wonder at all the things that he gives us and all the things that are around us. You see, there's only one way for us to receive the kingdom. That's as poor, as powerless, as needy, as beggars. And to live in wonder, as children do. And the devastating reality is that if we don't think that kids belong in the kingdom, then somehow we don't understand grace in a fundamental way. And the reason why we need kids, and the reason why we need to include them, is because they are a perpetual reminder to us of how we need to receive the kingdom each and every day of our lives and the gifts of God. And this is good news. This is really good news because some of you, you were hesitant when you came in here this morning. And you're hesitant right now because you look at your past and you think of all the things that you have done. And you look at your present status and you think of your poverty before him. And you look at your future and you get anxious that you might blow it. But here's the good news. For all the poor and powerless, all the lost and lonely, all the abandoned, all the forsaken, there is a father who welcomes you and loves you. Not for anything you are or anything you've done, but just because he does. And you are valuable and you are worthy, not because of who you are or what you have done, but because you are loved. And because God loved the world so much that he sent his son and he gave you the Christ gift, which is the most valuable thing in all the world, and you possess Christ. So we need kids. What would it look like for us to let the little children come to Jesus? What would it look like to not hinder them? Well, let me give you some practical things about what this might look like for us as a community. First, it looks like supporting marriages. 
You know, it's no, um, it's no accident that Jesus starts talking about children coming to him, and this episode comes right after Jesus' teaching on marriage and divorce. The legacies of, of divorce and its effects on children are strong and deep, and they are, and they are uh, documented. And, uh, and if, you, if you come from a divorced home, you know that. I want you to know a couple things. I want you to know that God's grace is bigger. And I want you to know that I know people who have come from divorced and wrecked households and the Lord has grace and his grace has met them there. And they know it. And I can connect you with those people if you were wondering. But I also know this. It isn't easy. It's hard. I was talking to one girl this week who said for eight years she struggled to hear the voice of God and his love over the yelling and arguments of her parents. We need to support marriages because marriages are one way, healthy marriages are one way that we facilitate our children coming to Jesus. We also need to continue to welcome children into our service of worship. Listen, we believe that Jesus' presence while it is everywhere, is most palpably experienced in the gathered people of worship. We are his temple. And therefore, when we gather together, there is no place in all the world where Jesus' presence is more palpable. But through the preaching of the word and the administration of the sacraments, and therefore, we need our children here with us. You say, but they don't understand. They, they, can't, they can't cognitively get it. I sat with a young mother this week with her little baby in the NICU and watched her hold her baby in her arms. That baby could not articulate the mother's presence. That baby could not think through the ramifications of the mother's presence. That baby could not even acknowledge in some ways that the mother was there, but you know what? It sensed the mother's presence, and the mother's presence was powerfully effective in that baby's life in that moment, and you could tell it. Jesus is here, and he is present. And his grace and his love is communicated in more than just what we can articulate or what we can understand. And it affects our children. And so we need to continue to welcome them in the service. And so we, we do. We, we put up with the crying. In fact, we welcome it. And we let our parents have long leashes. And we also need to help our parents understand how to actually keep their kids in the service because some of us, that's a new thing. And Pam and I had the great privilege of being in a church where we watched families and saw tactics, like tangible tactics that help them get their kids through the service, like bring a snack and give your children the snack when it's time for reading and prayers because that helps them to pay attention. You don't have to wait till they go off to the children's uh, service for that. Uh, those are ways in which we can do it. Now, some of you are saying, I, I don't want my kids in the service with me because they are distractive and they 
crawl all over me and it's hard to sing and I, I, I get disrupted and let the little children come to Jesus. For such is the kingdom. We also need to be a church that actively brings our children to the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Baptism is a place, you know, in this passage, at the end, it says that Jesus puts his hands on the children and he blesses them. He physically touches them and he blesses them. And that's what baptism is. It is a blessing with the presence of Jesus, the eternal presence of Jesus on our children. And we bring our children to to baptism that he might bless them with his eternal presence. And we also need to be active in encouraging them to the Lord's Supper and not passive about that. I mean, parents, how many of you said, well, when my child gets old enough, uh, they'll just... They'll just be potty trained themselves. How many of you say like, uh, they'll just learn to read. I don't need to do anything. No, you help them along. And we need to help our children along to come to the Lord's table. And we need to start that at an early age. And as soon as they can articulate faith at an age-appropriate level we need and receive the sacraments, we need to have them come. And to take and to partake in Jesus in that way. And you say, well, wait a second. They don't have an adult level of cognition. They can't understand the Trinity and substitutionary atonement and federal headship and all these other concepts. You're right. But look, you don't want to make an adult level of cognition. You do not want to make an adult level of cognition the qualification for coming to the Lord's table. Because you have no idea the ramifications. you have any idea the ramifications of what that means for the mentally handicapped and for the demented? Do you have any idea what that means for you when you are 80 and 90 and what you're saying? Don't do it. Jesus' grace is for the weak and the powerless and even the inarticulate and even the ignorant we need to bring our kids to the table and encourage them to come. So come to this family equipping session. We want to help you train your children and bringing them up to that place. Fourth, we need to be a congregation that lets grace reign and not law in our relationship with our kids. George MacDonald said that he didn't believe in a man's Christianity unless children were found playing at his door. And children play at the door of adults who are long on grace and short on law. Yes, they need structure and they need support and they need to know that you are going to be there and that you are unconditionally there for their protection and their love and their service. They do, they need that. And so I'm not saying there aren't, there aren't rules. But we need, we need to be long on grace and short on law. And especially on Sundays. I once had a friend who said that he hated Sundays as a kid because Sunday was the day when he knew that he was going to get in trouble and going to get grounded. Because some reason, like, you know, sin is more serious on Sunday. And so since the service of worship is serious, since it's going to church is serious, since Sunday is a, Sunday, is a day that's set apart, you know, the parents kind of ratchet it up 
principles and ratchet up the laws and he was always getting like reprimanded on Sunday. And he said, I just used to hate it. And, uh, and so what he, what he does with his kids is he says, Sunday is the day when if you are grounded, your grounding does not apply. Because that's the day when you, we want you to rest in grace and learn to rest in grace. And we need to have a long leash with our kids in the service. We need to have a long leash with our kids after the service. We need to let them roam about and play and explore and understand that Jesus is long on grace. Also, we need to be a church that protects our children. And uh, we are working right now on, on beefing up and shoring up our child protective policies because... Unfortunately, and I hate to say this, um, too often the church, and not just the Roman Catholic communion, the Reformed communion, has wanted to protect its own reputation over its children. And so we want to have clear, loving, child protective policies because... Because we do not want to hinder them from coming to Jesus. And because Jesus has some strong words for people who do. It has to do with, you know, millstones and drowning and things like that that you don't want to get into. So, finally, we need to be a church that values the contributions of children as heirs of eternal life. It's often said that children are the church's future, and I understand what that phrase is trying to get at, and I appreciate it. But while I appreciate it, I think that it can often miss something, and that is this, that children are the church's present. And that they have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. If they've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, then they've been given a measured responsibility in the community because they have been given the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we need to cultivate those gifts, use those gifts, and appreciate those gifts. And so let's appreciate the gifts of our children and encourage them in it because they are the church's present. And we need them just as much as they need us. Ravi Zacharias was traveling from, to Chicago on a train once and he was sitting behind uh, a father and his son and he was hearing um, the boy talk about the trip and the boy talked about everything incessantly the whole way he, he, he talked about these children in the schoolyard playing and how they were playing and kicking a ball he talked about the rocks and the small stream that they passed by the, the boy talked about the sunlight and its reflection on the water of the stream and, and then when they had to stop at one point a freight train went by and the boy started to um to recount all the various things that could be in the freight train then they got closer to Chicago and they drove by and he just started to describe all the boats on Lake Michigan and their sails and their colors. And, and, then, uh, and then he talked about the boats and the dry dock and, and the waves and how, how the water it twinkled and blinked at him over and over again. And as they got to the end of the journey, Ravi Zacharias leaned forward he smiled and he said, how refreshing, how refreshing to enjoy the world through the eyes of a child. And the man smiled and replied, yes, it is. Especially if that's the only way you can see it. The man was blind. We are blind. Lame. Deaf. Dumb. 
weak, powerless. And the only way for us to receive the children, uh, receive the kingdom, and to receive Jesus, is as our kids do. And it's wonderful to live in wonder as they do, and to receive grace as they do. So let the little children come to Jesus and do not hinder them, for such is the kingdom. And if anyone wants to receive the kingdom, they must do so as a little child. Let's do that now. Amen.